Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Time Rewind Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Stoll, and with me as always is my friend Michael Whitford. We're here, woo! We have finally made it. It is beyond November 19th. I myself have watched every single episode at least two times, and I'm sure more viewings will be coming. But all I can say is I am so excited that we're finally here, that this is finally happening. Mike, just what are your thoughts right off the cuff? Oh man, it's like Christmas, um, or just, uh, I've been waiting so long to see this on the screen, see this represented, and it's just so wild that it's finally here, and I can watch it, and I can watch it as many times as I want, and it's a bit sad at the same time, and uh, as we'll get into, I was a little let down there by the first episode on my first watch through, as I've watched it more, and I would strongly suggest everyone do this, watch it multiple times excited all right so before we dive into our review of and kind of breakdown of episode one leave taking from the show here we're just going to go through the formalities if you would like to contact the show you could email us at wheel of time rewind at gmail.com or if you want to get in contact with us on social media twitter and instagram is wot rewind hope to hear from you guys there if you write us, we will read it here on the show. So, without farther ado, we're just diving in here. No book review this week, or book check-in. We're just diving into the show, because we've got a lot of meat on this bone to chew through. So, we're going to start it off here. Mike, go. <laughs> I like that. Go. And just like we, st- uh, like you just told me to go, we saw on the show a man running. Two men running. And I got to start off right here. I want to just be perfectly transparent and honest with everyone. I watched the first episode. I stopped and I I looked at my partner and I was like, I'm kind of tired. I don't think I want to watch the other two right now. She was so surprised because I've been, you know, hyped up over it. I left watching the first episode disappointed and a little, um, not very unsure, um, very uncomfortable with where the direction of the show went and some of the CGI especially. But after watching the other two episodes, I'm so much more excited for the series again. And after rewatching the first episode again as well, I definitely feel a little bit differently. And so I just want to be upfront with that. And then as we're going through, I want to like highlight some of those points that kind of let me down. But I do want to say the intro here was one scene that I really liked I like that they were chasing down this guy, and then, you know, when they finally cornered him, uh, he's like, just don't hurt him. And they're like, who? There's no one else there with you. And it's, and then he flipped to it, and it's just like the look on his face and like the defeat, and just so well done. Just so well done. Uh, Dylan, I know we're going to go kind of go through the whole episode here, but like, real quickly, what was your initial thoughts? Were you kind of like me at first, or did you have a kind of a different feeling towards it? Yeah, so what my initial thoughts were after I got done with episode one, I was excited. I wanted to keep going. I was mostly positive with my was my reaction, actually. Um, I will say that I am going to come after the parts that I don't like when we get to them and when we start talking about them. But uh, by and large, I was fairly happy with what I saw on screen. Um, But yeah, so as far as this first scene we saw, um, that was not the first scene that came on screen that you described there. The very first scene we saw was Moraine getting dressed up, heading out on her journey, giving exposition. But we have already seen that. We've talked about that. This was the first new scene we saw. My initial thoughts on the Red Aja scene is I was like, first of all, where is this taking place? Because, like, I didn't recognize, like, what landscape it would be, if it was supposed to be Andor, if it was Kyrian, like, where it was actually happening. Ilian, the Borderlands, who knows. Um, I thought that Leandrin openly used the One Power as a weapon in front of all those other Aes Sedai. Because in the books, Egwene and Elaine later on in the series did something very similar, making the earth explode near somebody, and they were given a beat down by the Aes Sedai that was with them. 
saying that that's way too close to using the one power as a weapon. So I had mixed feelings about that. Um, I thought that the portrayal of madness for the male Chandler there was fantastic. I absolutely loved that part. Um, I thought that Leandrin, the blonde red Aja I said I there, her eyes were very creepy. And I, <laughs> I thought that that was really cool, like how, how they just looked. And I thought that the Aes Sedai gentling the man, removing his ability to touch the one power on the spot there, which is against White Tower law, was a little unsettling. I thought that it was done very well. And I loved like how she was like, you're ready, sisters. And like they all kind of went at him to cut him off from the true source. And But I was a little shocked by that because I was like, is this supposed to be... Uh, Tom's nephew, perhaps, that we are seeing being gentled on the spot. And I don't think it was. I don't know who this guy was supposed to be. But I thought that, by and large, that scene, it raised a lot of questions. And um, my fiance Amy, when she was watching this episode with me here, she was like, what is going on at this part here? She's like, why did they include this particular scene? Um, because she has, unlike Mike and myself, has not read the books as many times. Uh, she read the first book, Eye of the World, one time a long time ago and doesn't really remember it. So I'm kind of looking at her reaction as like a non-book reader's reaction to this scene here. And so basically, like, why was that included? Because it doesn't really connect to the rest of what we see in episode one. But moving on from there... Um, I guess it's still part of that same scene mm-hmm. with Moraine talking to Lan and how they're going to be heading off to the two rivers next. Uh, Moraine's like, there's rumors of four Tavir in there. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, people are spreading rumors that there's Taviran over in the two rivers? Like, that's so random and so weird of, like, a, of a thing to be, like talking about and they never brought that they haven't brought that back up either the taviran bit no and i think that was kind of just like dropped kind of willy-nilly a little bit and i i don't know Mm. how i felt felt about that part because uh, like part of the thing about the two rivers is it's like this forgotten corner of the world and so for yeah except the tabak yeah so for people to be talking about oh there did you hear there's these four taviran kids in the two rivers that would be way too much attention being paid to uh, the two rivers there. And so I wasn't quite a fan of that particular part. Um, just the last bit on this opening scene that I'll say is that I absolutely loved the cinematography. I thought that it was beautiful. The filming locations that they did in the Czech Republic, they all came out looking stunning. And that's not just this scene, but like the rest of this series. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of what I've seen as far as like the mountainy backgrounds and everything. I thought that looked fantastic. Yeah. Can I just comment on that and just say Go that it. was something I had written down throughout and something like my partner had also commented on too is just the the background and all the filming of these natural locations was just gorgeous. It does bring me to when um, they pan away from Maureen and Lan and they're showing those different mountains there. Was it just me or did some of those look like buildings covered in moss? It 100% was. Like, at one point, I don't remember if it's this exact scene or not, but you see what almost looked like a raised highway covered in moss and, like, random parts of, like, a wall or something like that. But, yeah, yeah, I definitely noticed that at several points throughout the series. Okay. Um, The next scene I think we should talk about is Egwene's admittance Mm -hmm. into the women's circle. So, Mike, so, what are your thoughts yeah. on this one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, I I had written this down. I thought it was cool that they really did such a focus on some scenes that in the book were you didn't get at all because the mm-hmm. perspective you were following didn't see any of those things. Um, so they, did, they had to flush those out kind of with little to nothing, you know? And so I thought they did a really nice job there with that. And while my partner was very much confused about... Um, Egwene getting thrown in the river. <laughs> I, I thought it was a really, um, really powerful scene because N- Nynaeve did that little speech about how women are, you know, they're alone. 
I felt like the river was you're a woman in this society and you are going to face difficult things and you have a choice you can either sit there and fight it and get nowhere or you can kind of go with I hate to say in this expression but go with the flow and sort of or accept it and kind of survive and so I thought that was a I thought that was a really neat scene there was a part in there that I just want to comment on real quickly where and this was even in the second watch through the CGI when she's going down the river was really good at scenes and then when it like went close up with her face that was where I was like yeah now lost me right there and it may be because I'm watching it on a 4k tv and so some of this stuff stood out a little bit more um not sure yeah so I had a completely different reaction to that scene that you were describing oh okay good. so yeah um I thought that I liked seeing it because again that was a scene that was not in the books because we were through Rand's perspective at that point, and as you saw, Egwene was very hesitant to talk to Rand about what was going on with the women's circle there. But, to me, that scene was almost a metaphor of Aes Sedai, because it talked about how, like, as long as she has the braid, she can remember that all the other women that came before her and are there in other buildings are right there with her, that she's a part of something larger than herself. And Mm -hmm. then... The talk of trusting the river, I kind of took that as surrendering to Sidar when you're talking yeah. about the one power. Like, if you are fighting it for a woman, you're going to not be able to grasp the true source. But if you surrender to Sidar and let Sidar take the lead, then that's where you're able to take the one power and use it how you would want to. Love that connection. Love that connection. I didn't, I kind of had a little inkling of it and I was like, hmm, maybe, but you're right. That was definitely intentional in that way and how they wanted to, um, I think, build a connection between what she's doing now versus what she'll have to do later. Yeah. So the next part I want to talk about just follows directly after this scene here where you get our, your first look at Emmons Field. And I was like, dang, they really built this entire set here they built the entire town of Emmonsfield and I was quite impressed by looking at that because of what they did later when they ended up burning it to the ground so I was like damn that was pretty cool I thought that it looked great um I thought that it was interesting you know where we saw Tam and Rand on the road there bringing their wares to town there kind of uh having Tam tell us that Rand and Egwene have been like a long-term thing like this is no new like budding relationship this has been something rand's been pursuing since he was a little boy picking berries for Egwene. so i thought that was nice to kind of give us like a hook as to how long these two have been in each other's lives how important they are to each other and everything because after that we get to the tavern and mike do you want to talk about this tavern scene uh, yeah, I can definitely do that. I just want to add on just one touch there to Rand and his dad and say that I, and this is actually throughout the series, every little bit of dialogue and all these little moments that in a lot of other shows may not be like super important, like I feel like is so intentional and so important in this series, especially because they're trying not to come out and explain every single thing to you. Right. And there's so much to explain. And so like my partner is like asking me questions like, Oh, why are they doing this? Why is this happening? And I'm just like, uh, well, it's because of this, because she wants to know she, she's not sitting here like really wanting to figure it out, <laughs> which is fine. There's uh there's so many little things they're adding in that are going to be important down the line. So going into the, scene at the end i want to focus on matt here because yes he's pretty much front and center here and we get some really great character building with him and i like that they're building on the notion of him gambling carousing being a thief and a general rascal like i think that is going to be to the benefit of the show because they've already sort of set this um him as this kind of person and they can kind of play with that a little bit as they go on in the series. I do like that they had him gambling. He was losing. And it's and it's not nothing new to Matt and Rand. And so it was really cool to see that kind of connection and dynamic between them. 
So yeah, I saw Matt gambling, and I was like, oh, awesome, I'm gonna love this, this is gonna be fun, because Matt becomes one of my favorite characters in the series here. But the way they had him portrayed, he was almost like he was a gambling addict as well, like he, he could not stop, he could not say no. And I don't really know how I feel about that scene. I thought that was like a dark turn for him. Well, in general, I think a lot of the choices they made, and I think that's why this first episode really didn't resonate with me the first time I watched it, was because it was so much darker than reading the books I ever imagined them. Oh, for sure. But I think giving him the motivation to try to provide for his sisters and making them a really important part of who he is kind of counteracts that. So I, I see what you're saying about the gambling addict. Well, so it went a little beyond that for me because I what I have written down in my notes here for the episode is that uh, Matt is a gambling addict and a thief. And I mm. really, really do not like that because those yeah. are two things that Matt Coffin is not. He never steals in any other thing except maybe a, a shy glance at a lady friend or, <laughs> or anything like that. But... The fact that he's doing it for his sisters to provide for them because his mom is a drunk and his dad is a lecherous scumbag still does mm-hmm. not make it okay to me. Like, I feel like Matt, in this very first episode, becomes instantly my favorite character again because of how protective he is of his sisters. I think the portrayal of Matt in that regard was fantastic. Um, but the fact that he is portrayed as someone who will steal to get what he wants and gambling is more of an addiction to him than like something he does for fun, I wasn't the biggest fan of that part in particular. Um, but, I'm hoping that is something that they like he grows out of. You know what I mean? I think he will. I think he will because we'll see character growth for all of these uh, main characters here throughout the series. And I think that will be how we see Matt kind of mature. I also have written down um, that Nynaeve having fun and drinking in the inn is something that he would not have seen her book counterpart doing too much. Um, she does engage in a dance in the books, and everyone's like, whoa, the wisdom is dancing, whoa! But <laughs> this one where you see her join in with the rest of the women and celebrating Egwene and drinking and everything, I thought that was okay, but, like, a little bit out of character. Um, meanwhile, Rand, our little shepherd, sheep herder friend, is just being a sullen little man on the wall, like being very scowly all episode i felt like i i don't know if you felt this way but i i feel like they did such a good job with certain elements of each of those characters rand matt and perrin getting some of their characteristics down really well and like they added in some elements that i know you don't agree with with matt and um with rand i felt like he was a little too moody yes but at the same time I feel like it's going to, as we just said, the character change and growth, we're going to see some of that come out. Can we just agree, though, and I, I know we didn't get a lot of screen time, and I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, actually quite a bit, because we saw the scene with Moraine and Lan coming into the inn, and we've talked about that. Well, hold um, on, hold on. I do want to talk about that scene in particular for a quick second, okay. if you don't mind. Okay, go for it. Oh, i got to hold on to this. Go. Yeah, so... I, again, really don't like that scene with Lan and Moraine coming in. I get that it was, dr- it was done for dramatic effect, but Ugh. the fact for me that Lan, who is a borderlander, comes in mm. and stands there with his hood up, hiding his face, which is something that is illegal to do in the borderlands, really annoyed me because it's something that he would have never done in a million years, like hide his face so no one would have seen him in every single instance i can recall from the book whenever lan enters somewhere he's always eagle-eyed looking around you know observing everything not trying to hide and everything and i i didn't really like that part and again Egwene's mom knowing an eye ring on sight was a little eh because of again backwoods community that doesn't take part in the rest of the world there. And I just have to say it again, I am still not a fan of the Aes Sedai ring that we saw. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. I I get that. No, I was just going to say, I also, I'm not a huge fan of this scene now. 
especially with how it fits into this episode i feel like it it doesn't it doesn't fit in as as part of this episode I will say, though, that the part where you see uh, Nynaeve standing in the background, hand on her dagger, just glaring at Moraine is priceless. <laughs> I loved that particular part. <laughs> she is... I love Nynaeve. Well, so, I, I again, I didn't want to get to this part yet, but I have it written down. I'm like, I loved all the acting in this first episode and in the series in general so far. But to me, the two clear standouts are... Uh, Barney Harris as Matt and Zoe Robbins as Nynaeve. I thought they did fantastic jobs. Both yes. of those guys, re- or both of those people, really stood out really mm-hmm. highly for me. Yes, and can I add one in there too? Sure, yeah. Uh, Pat and Fane. Oh yeah, I loved Pat and Fane. He, I am uh, so yes. excited. Oh, him and uh, yeah, and in episode two we'll talk about Valda, but yeah. Yes, we'll, we'll oh. talk about our friends from uh, the Children of the Light later on in our next episode here. Um, but transitioning this to where I think you want to go, um, Nynaeve kind of comes and talks to Perrin and is like, Hey, where's Ayla? Probably at the forge. Iron's hard to work alone. So is like this why she's like so cold to Perrin? Because he's been off drinking and carousing with his friends all night and left her to do work at the forge? Or what are your thoughts, Mike? Honestly, I was a little confused. And so I get, like, when he goes in and sees his wife, he, like, puts his hands around her stomach. So you get the impression that she's uh, with child. But, like, I never I never quite understand their relationship together. And I know we've talked about it again, you know, in the books. Uh, Perrin is not married. Um, and I know they added her in for reasons. And we'll get into a little later on. I just, I, I agree that I don't think she was necessarily the best way to relate to Perrin. I would hundred and a million percent Ugh. agree because on top of like her being like very cold towards Perrin, because he's like, oh, I love you. And she's like, I know, like doesn't even really respond like affectionately to his touch, kind of winces almost, feels like she's like, holding back saying her true feelings and everything. Yeah. Um, so I really did not like her. Um, my fiance Amy at the same time was like, does Perrin's wife even love him? <laughs> so who knows? Um, but one thing that I'm also missing here are the Luhans. So because in the show we're getting Perrin and Ayla as true, like full class blacksmiths, it does not seem like we're going to be getting Allsbet Luhan or her husband there coming and uh, being a force later on in the books. Um, but one thing I also want to say is that Perrin says to her, and I, I had to watch the first episode with subtitles to pick this up, um, but like Ayla, his wife, skipped out on Egwene's women's circle admittance when she was supposed to be there. And so, to me, it's almost like there's more deeper roots going on um, to why she was unhappy. Mm. Um, I also will throw this in as well. She is not an original character. She is actually referenced in Book 4, Shadow Rising, um, as Perrin's, like, childhood love interest that he got outgrew. And so she's, uh, she's much more plump in the books and she's married to somebody else, but she is in a character from the actual books, just not with Perrin in that way. I was just going to say, and then we get into the scene with Matt's mother um, and his father, uh, which you never hear a line from the entire episode. No, his dad remains silent the entire episode, does not speak, except apparently to women who are out of earshot of the camera. Um, But... I have written down here that Matt becomes instantly likable, taking care of his drunk, abusive mom and his sisters, and just, like, showing who the actual man of the house is. And, like, again, nothing but respect for Matt for how he's being portrayed in that regard. Like, he definitely wants the best for his family back in Emmonsfield. Absolutely. Um, I, I thought that scene... Um, caught me off guard a little bit because I, yeah. I tried to stay away from a lot of the spoilers. 
Um, but I agree, it really endeared Matt to you earlier on than in the book series. And it, as I said before, it does give some motivation for why he did what he did. But at the same time, you're right, it is not who he was in the original books. But in the original books, his parents were happy. Right. His and um, they they were pretty well off because his dad was really good with horses, so there wasn't that need for all of this. And so I get it. Why would why would he gamble and why would he kind of be this rascal when he has such a great upbringing? So I think they're trying to match some of that, and also as we as I said before, make the show darker. Yeah. So the next scene I want to talk about, which I think is the next logical point, is with Ran and Egwene. Um, their scene there. But before we get to that part, I really like the part where um, Marin Elvire, Egwene's mom, was like, <laughs> war is just fools killing other mm, fools for foolish right, causes whoa. right in front of Tam, who had left the two rivers to join an army and fight in a war. <laughs> so mm. a- as you see later on, that's where Tam gets his sword from, is from his time in the military. And I just thought that was great. It was a great line. And also saying her saying that in front of Tam, I felt like just made it like hit that much harder for me. It was it was really good. That was a really nice scene. And then, yeah, you get Egwene and Rand. And I also up feel like yeah, they get tangled up together, get a little physical with an implied sex scene there. But it almost seemed like the parents were like shipping Rand and Egwene, like they want them to get together. Like the Elvires and Tam were definitely okay with what was going on there well as they said earlier in the book they knew it was going on since they were younger um yeah. i really liked the conversation between Egwene and rand that back and forth even the little bit with the berry and the humor like the humor kind of it was like right in the right spot to sort of like cut the like that tension um and i really think it makes you care about them as a couple but also like their conversation afterwards where you know Rand gets a little moody again like you get to see just how much of a young couple they are and like how the emotions aren't quite figured out and it it makes their relationship in at least my eyes like more believable and there's more to lose and there's it's going to be more complicated when it goes down the road whereas in the books it was very much like okay yeah you guys can't be together who cares you never like did anything like Right, it was over from the beginning in the books. Yeah. But then we get the scene with Moraine and Lan bathing together, which, again, I was completely fine with that particular part. The part of that scene I didn't like was Lan complaining about the water temperature. Because he's he's a hard-nosed borderlander, and I think it was kind of done in jest, but still, like... That was something he would never say. He's like, oh, it's great, but could you turn up the heat? No, no, that's not the Lan Mandragoran that is off with the one-man war against the shadow. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I agree. It felt a little forced. The next part I want to talk about is the part where apparently being a wisdom kind of comes with the same requirements as being an Aes Sedai now in the Two Rivers, where you can have no husband, have no kids, all of that stuff. I don't really remember being prerequisites for being a wisdom when uh, we were reading the books there. Yeah, I I don't remember it either, but I... I, I feel like it's just to cause more tension. Agreed, agreed. Um, then, apparently, they got rid of some of the warder's powers, maybe. Because I don't know how a fade rides in the middle of the road, right down Emmons Field, uh, in the middle of Emmons Field to the end, without land knowing there was a fade there. Because, well, they yeah. did say in the morning, like, oh, you didn't sleep last night. And then she was like, one of the eyeless, you think? And... So it's kind of implied, like, okay. that he sent something that night. So, uh, But then we get Pot and Fane showing up, and like you yeah. said, I love his look. I love his mm-hmm. attitude. I felt like oh. he was a great Pot and Fane. He's going to be so good. So good. I'm so excited for him. Yes. Um, and I thought that it was really interesting as well when Rand and Egwene were sitting on the rock there, Rand basically already accepting that him and Egwene have no future together. But that doesn't mean he's going to give up because, as we know, Rand can be a woolhead <laughs> and a stubborn mule when he wants to be. And it really shows like their relationship and how much they want to support each other, too. 
Right. And how much they know each other. Next, we get the mysterious sacred sacred pool <laughs> that Nynaeve is yeah. tending and scrubbing, which, which again is an invention for the show. But what are your and thoughts? It's here, fine. I, I think yeah. it's fine because honestly, like the two rivers, like if it is an established community, it would have their own customs and holidays, but it would also have right. like its own. Yeah spiritual things too which they don't really get into in the show or in the books at all but i mean like an actual like community like that would have some sacred or some safe place or some places that they would hold in high regard and i have to say that i loved that interaction with moraine and nynaeve um i love this story that nynaeve shared with moraine but i love how moraine was she listened but she was still going after what she wanted to know and yeah she tricked Nynaeve into telling her how old she was by saying oh have you only been wearing the braid a year or two no mm. five years oh so that makes oh. you 26 25 yeah exactly 26. exactly yeah. I also really lo- think that what this story that Nynaeve told about the old wisdom going to the white tower uh, mm-hmm. It kind of gives a little background for why Nynaeve does not yes. like Aes Sedai. Oh, absolutely. That's what I was thinking. I but then we because... get... Uh... Oh, sorry. Go for it, man. No, no, no. It's great because it really gets to why she acts the way she does around her and why she's going to have these feelings, which is honestly, I think, a better better reason than the ones in the book, even. Me too. Me too. I actually really like that part. Like I said, I think Nynaeve was portrayed very well in this series so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing lots more of her. But then we get to the part where Perrin is off drinking with his friends again, with no wife on his arm, or anywhere to be seen, no work, and he wonders why she's upset. <laughs> so, yeah. again, we'll get to the we'll get to the scene later on here, but. Right now, like, again, I'm just, like, thinking to myself, why do they even add in a wife for Perrin? Because it makes no sense to have him. Oh, man. I, I don't disagree. Um, so, the, I thought the listening to the wind part was really cool, how you see Nynaeve mm-hmm. and Egwene there. And you kind of, like, hear, like, that, like, whispering yeah. going on there, which was, like, very <laughs> ominous and, and really cool, I thought. It's like, it sounds wrong. I've never heard it talked this way before. Just kind of getting you ready for the changing of being a nice family-friendly show to the butcher yard we see coming up here. Um, I will say that the sheep scene where you see Lan finding all those killed and, like, gutted sheep did remind me of Game of Thrones where you see, like, the dead bodies in patterns um, yeah. beyond the wall. But... I didn't notice this until my watch, my rewatch of the series here. The sheep are arrayed to make the dragon's fang. Yeah. No, and exactly. When and I you'll realized see that, that repeated in other episodes, too. Yeah. When I realized that, I got chills. Just like, woo! Like, I thought that was mm-hmm. really cool. I agree. Um, but Beltine appears to be much more serious in the show here, going on our theme of making this a lot more dark. So I had a couple of notes on the lantern, which was an added element to the show. And it really, I feel like the purpose was to give more ex, like more exposition to the wheel and like the whole mythos. Yeah. And I really like that they have this giant notion of rebirth um, because I think it's going to come back to that. And you see it in episode three, which when we get to that one, we'll, I'll talk about it again. But some people could see this as like an endless amount of opportunities to just get better and better with each life. And other people may see this as like an endless cycle of despair, disappointment, and something that is just never ending. Yeah, the lantern scene there with Tam giving his speech there was like the first mention of the wheel for the Wheel of Time um, by the Two Rivers folks here. And I thought it was a very nice scene with some hope. And again, just like giving me chills, like hearing Tam talking about like talking about the rebirth cycle and everything like that. I thought that was done really well. But the scene in general with the lighting of the lanterns reminded me of the Lothlorien scene in Lord of the Rings, where they're lighting the stuff for Gandalf. Um, but... Definitely inspired by Game of Thrones like cinema and Lord of the Rings cinema. Yes. I saw many callbacks to a few of those. I just yes, but now we get to the meat, <laughs> which is 
the dancing at Beltine and the oh. Trolloc invasion. Yeah, loved the dancing scene, and I loved, 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 loved how it was just so happy, and then all of a sudden it was just like, thunk. Yeah, What's wrong? I thought that the kid that got killed there was going to be well seen. I was like, oh <laughs> no, a random Tom I've never heard of. But yeah, I thought that the dancing and the Trolloc invasion overall looked amazing. It was awesome. It was extremely brutal with the Trollocs having no mercy, just eating people alive right there. Um, I will say that overall, I felt like they made the Emmons fielders too brave. Um, I understand like fighting back, and I have written down in my notes, uh, Days Conger is a badass. Like yes, she like, was. I love. Hey, that. I'll give you a real buffet. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, oh god, that was so cool. I I really liked uh, that scene. That was um, a fantastic part. <laughs> but he, but it did show. I I like that they did that because it showed just how puny and. Uh, pathetic, I guess. <laughs> the Edmonds fielders were compared to these Trollocs and that they really could have just yeah, wiped them all out. For sure. Like, and um, it does really show the size and scale of the Trollocs being like eight or ten feet tall and mm-hmm. being these monsters. But Matt, again, continues to be the best character by being like, Mom, Dad, you left my sisters out there. I'm going to get them. And just going out there and braving the Trollocs to find his sisters and save them. And again, I just thought it's again why Matt was uh, very high up on my portrayal list of uh, of the actors here. I thought that it was done so well. I thought the, the overall the fighting scenes were really great. I love that Matt scene you were talking about there. I want to talk about the Tam and Rand scene. Sure, that's yeah. Let's where, get there. That's where some of the CGI got a little... Uh, where it got like close the, quarter CGI, yeah. Yeah, where they when they started to when so like when the Trolloc busted in, it was pretty cool, and like then the initial fight, the stab was all good, and then it was when uh, Tam pulled out the sword and they started sword fighting there at the beginning. Like anytime it focused in on like where he cut, it just looked so like that whole bit didn't make sense. To, like it didn't look good to me, and it it kind of threw it off. I rewatching it, it was better. And I really like the end where, like, the Trolloc was just pushing his blade down. Deeper and it, deeper, yeah. yeah. No, I have written down in my notes, Tam goes ham. And just, like, <laughs> I thought it was great. Like, Should put I that love, on shirt. Right? I love the sword fighting that Tam did. I thought it was awesome. But I thought the close-up of the damage onto the Trollocs was a little unnecessary. Um, but, like, that scene leads right into... Nynaeve answering an armed roaring Trolloc with brandishing her own knife and roaring right back. And again, yeah, looking fierce, it. being awesome. Oh yeah. So cool. And then here's here's where I have to say I want to hear your thoughts a lot here. So they gave Moraine a big power boost for the show here. So first off, that Trolloc that was screaming at Nynaeve, the way that was killed, I didn't like that because it was like weird CGI there. Um, and just didn't look good. I feel like they could have just done a better, better thing, like having an axe go through his head or something, or it's not, a, you know, something a little more natural than him twisting in a weird way. And I, maybe they were trying yeah. to get like some unnatural thing going with it. Don't know. I liked the channeling. I liked the movements because I think you're right. She got a power boost because she could do all these things, but at the same time, it's like a double-edged sword because she can't really do much else except those movements and it also gives like white cloaks the opportunity to actually and like other people who want to kill him like when that trial threw the dagger like i was gonna say exhibit a right there yeah that stuff can happen they always talk about it in the books as weaving yes and so when you think about that that's where i was like well that makes sense because what she's doing is she's weaving the power to do these things and so it is kind of like charging up really it's just like taking these threads and moving them around and so it's going to be cool to see if maybe like the really strong channelers are ones who can weave faster um well it kind of gets into that uh whole mythos of it where men were able to do like more powerful attacks but they didn't have the dexterity that women did so like maybe because like met the male channelers to do like their big power moves have to do like a big complicated exhausting movement 
versus like a quick like arm thing to like summon the power that the women do. Um, but the next part I want to talk about here was just Nynaeve getting taken by the Trollocs was a little surprising to me. Like I did not like see that coming. That was not part of uh, the books here. I'm not complaining about it though. I thought that was cool. Uh, added a little extra suspense, even though as a book reader, we knew we or sorry we know rather that Nynaeve was not going to be getting killed off episode one. No way that was happening. And um, it gives the characters extra mo- again additional motivation. Like someone we love has like gone away. I do want to just add one thing as well before we move on to the. I'm sure the blacksmith scene. Well, before that, I just want to say the again we're trying to hold back and not give details of episode two and three, but okay, go ahead. I just want to say warder, land. Yes, let's talk about land for so a quick second. Badass. Moving I, so, around okay. and just protecting her back, I was like, awesome. And he was just like killing them. It was. I thought that was really good. See, now I thought that Lan was a little underwhelming. I thought he was good, but he wasn't great. I felt like no. uh, his movements were good and everything, but I wasn't sure like how he was like one-shotting all these different uh, Trollocs with a thin katana-like blade. So um, I thought it was good, but not great as far as Lan's fighting scene goes. Okay. That's fair. Um, and those are some good points. I just, yeah, those are some good points. But so now we get to talk about the blacksmith shop. Because, first of all, let me just say that both Perrin and Layla are beasts. Just going oh, yeah. ham. And for me, like, the scene where Perrin grabs the axe and starts going to ham on the Trolloc there. And then kills Layla. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, I was, that was a moment where like I legitimately exclaimed out loud when that happened the first time. I agree with you completely. That was very surprising. I still think that her being his wife seems like a silly thing to add. Yep. To really add extra, you know, complexity to our character and connection. And even like my partner was like, Oh my gosh. She's like, that's terrible. Um, and so I was like, well, I guess they got what they wanted. They got a reaction out of us. Um, yeah, they did. They did. Um, so I want to have a little discussion here about this scene. Yeah. I've done a little looking around the Wheel of Time fandom, and there seems to be two prevailing ideologies about what was going on with this scene, why Layla was killed by Perrin the way that she was. Mm-hmm. The first is... The Layla is a dark friend theory. So if you rewatch this particular scene here, while like she's coming to kill him. Well, yeah, she has her hammer like raised up over her head as if she was going to bring it down yeah. and kill Perrin here. And so this theory says that that's why she was being cold and standoffish earlier because she knew she was going to have to kill him soon. And so she didn't want to like, portray mm. any more loving emotions towards him and knew their time together was ending. The that other would make a lot of sense. The other theory is is that this is why Perrin hates his axe theory. Because in the book, Perrin really hates committing violence himself. He does not like using his axe to kill people because he feels like his axe is only a weapon. It's only meant to kill and he has done some things that he regrets with his axe. For example, killing people. Um, so those are the two prevailing theories for why they included this scene here. What are your thoughts on those, Mike? The first watch through, I was just like, oh no, like he was just in like this fury. And then he just like, just heard the sound and like just swung. Me too. Because um, he was just in bloodlust. And then the second time I watched, I did notice how she had her... Um, she had her weapon raised there and I was like that's really weird yeah and that someone said whoever said that she was a dark friend there I was like that makes so much sense it's not even funny like he'll find out later like that was my thought as well is like if she is a dark friend it's gonna have to be coming out and stated that she was a dark friend like and she was sent there to like gain his trust and then 
her time was called. Or that she was just, you know, there and that they did happen to get married and then she was told that she had to end him. Yeah, yeah. The next part I want to talk about is the part where Moraine is just like ripping bricks out of this stone house or whatever and flinging those at the Trollocs instead of just using lightning. Because how did she know people weren't inside the building just hiding from the devastation going on outside? Because as you see her taking the stones from the building to use as a weapon, it caused the building to collapse. So I was like, that is a little irresponsible. Kind of cool looking, but still. <laughs> I think it was done for two reasons. One, the visual impact and like the how cool it is and how powerful she is. And two, women are stronger in, with air. So another reason why, I suppose. But yeah, but I thought yeah, it was so mostly for the visual. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I really like about this scene, as well as the scene where um, she heals Tam, is mm-hmm. just the physical toll you see channeling take on her i thought that was done really well um with her telling the jatara morosa story um about like the the woman who i said i who had eyes so white she couldn't see through them i was like you're telling this story out in the open where everybody can hear you say one of you is the dragon reborn i I thought that was a little uh a little irresponsible as well I agree, but she had to convince him. And so, I, again, I see where they're they're going there. But again, it would have been better if she was like, you know, come here. Also, Rand's like, whole, you brought them here. And I like, I get that. But then, you know, healing Tam. And there wasn't really any kind of gratitude. Really. No, he never said thank you. And so, like, you, you see, like, Rand having this view of Aes Sedai and having the this you know all the stories and all this and like like okay like i get it that was really matt in the books but yeah i get it um but after she healed tam like you'd think there would be some gratitude or some like okay see i think they should have just taken the extra two minutes to add in the part where moraine tells Rand, i'll hear your i'll heal your father but you need to come with me afterwards yeah because that would bring the rest of them too. That would be another yeah. string. And so then that would also like make him, that would give him reason for why he's like feeling the way he's feeling, which I think, you know, we'll get into it in the second episode, but his reaction to her and like the outburst in that episode, like it, it's been building from here out. So yeah, a hundred percent agree. Um, I did think that everybody left with Moraine a little too easily. There was like very minimal pushback, but Again, that was kind of how it was in the in the books as well. They were like, "Oh, you need to come with us now." Oh, well, right. Also, if you too, say they're so. all in shock. It looks like, yeah, yeah. Heron especially. Like, I. Lo- oh my god! Yeah, I love. I, I say love a lot. I really liked how he was portraying his the actor. There was portraying the emotions on Perrin's face because it just looked like he was in shock. Which your wife just you killed your wife effectively. You had these trollocs come and like. You know, and it's just so much horror in such a little amount of time. Like, you would be in shock. Yeah, I mean, I gave a shout-out to Barney Harris and Zoe Robbins, but a big shout-out to Marcus Rutherford as well, because Perrin was played very well later on in that episode, especially. Um, The last part here, we're almost out of (laughs) here, is I absolutely loved the book introduction as Mm. the ending voiceover for episode one. Oh man, I'm glad we're such a, we're so in sync with that. I literally wrote down the monologue at the end uh, <laughs> with Rosamund Pike. They might have well, they might have just have taken that from her reading of the Eye of the World for, for all sure. we know. But yeah, I had um, that same thought. <laughs> I was like, this is this was I think such an amazing way to end that first episode. Yeah. Uh, so like overall thoughts on episode one. Now that we've had time to kind of watch it at least two times each and digest it and talk through it here. What are your overall thoughts here, Mike? So I still, if you on some of the CGI, I like it. It's probably still my least favorite episode out of the three. Um, and I, I, I plan on rewatching the whole series once it's all out again. So I will see number one again here. Me too. But um, as of right now, it's my least favorite of the three. And I think it, I think it really, the reason I did not like it the first time was because 
the tone shift from my headcanon, I guess, from how I viewed, you know, the the story in the books versus how it is on screen. It's just a lot darker, and I just wasn't quite ready for that. And just some minor CGI issues that I just really didn't like. But besides that, it's really it is good. Yeah, so my overall thoughts are that I still did like it. I still like episode one. I do like the other episodes a little bit better. Um, In particular, uh, certain scenes I will discuss on future episodes. But I will say this as well. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with book readers being disappointed in some of the changes we've seen on here. It's a lot to deal with because this is a series where we've had the same story for 30 years and you've had lots of time to read it reread it put it into your own headcanon and everything and have it be a blueprint for how it should be done if it was ever brought to the big screen or to television and so i don't think there's anything wrong with being a little disappointed in some of the changes there i will say you just have to give it a chance though like so far i'm giving the series a chance I'm being critical about it, but I'm still enjoying it. And I do overall still like the show so far. So I'm excited to continue talking about it. Yeah, me too. As I said, for anyone who watched the first episode and wasn't feeling like 100% behind it, just watch episodes two and three. And I think you'll start seeing that they, they they are going in the same direction that you want them to go. They're just taking a slightly different path. And that some of the changes... like in episode two and three, I feel <laughs> add add to it. Yes, I would hundred percent agree with that statement. Watch episodes two and three if you have not watched them yet, and embrace some of these changes that are done for the better in those episodes here. Mm-hmm. Um, the last bit I just want to talk about here is that, like, um, again, my fiance Amy has not really read the books at nearly as much as Mike or I, and hasn't really read them in a long time either so like her ending thoughts for episode one were that she wants to keep watching so she was hooked enough off of episode one here to kind of keep going and i think that seems to be the general sentiment that i'm seeing right now across a lot of people is they're either hooked already or they're intrigued enough to keep going but if you're not just give episodes two and three a chance if you don't like them then you're free to do whatever you wish. But I highly recommend checking them out. All right, so we are running up on the hour mark. And as you can see, these episodes we're going to be doing for the TV series here are going to be a little bit longer (laughs) than what we had been doing before the season was released on November 19th here. But before we get out of here, Mike, do you have any closing thoughts? I look forward to talking about episode two and three so much. Me too, man. Me too. All right. Well, with that being said, thank you for listening, and we'll see you at the next turning of the wheel. Goodbye. Bye.